If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, like Robert mentioned earlier, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible, and uh, in the uh, order of service, there's the page number for where 1 Corinthians 7.17 is going to be located. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, thank you, Lord, for being here with us and for keeping your word that you would never leave us alone. Father, as we come to worship you this morning, it's our desire, Lord, to be encouraged, to be comforted, to be strengthened by your word, by our time with each other, by time in prayer. We ask, Lord, again, that our hearts and our minds will be challenged and changed by your word and what it says. We ask, Lord, that these truths will become evident to us as we study them this morning. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17, it reads this way. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. And you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So given the proximity of the Lord's return, another way of talking about, I guess you would say, and I've seen this in the commentary, the eschatological reality of human experience Basically, what Paul is getting at here is that when it comes to the relationships that we have as Christians, it should be all those relationships should be guided by an overarching concern to please the Lord. That's what he's getting at here. When he talks about when these individuals became believers, when they were called to Christ, whatever state they were in, whatever circumstance they found themselves in, he's telling them not to be overly concerned with changing that circumstance. That they are to live in obedience to what God says. And, and that, that, that's the main gist of what he says. If you look at verses 29 through 31 of 1 Corinthians 7, I'm going to read it to you from a paraphrase. And this is what Paul says. He says, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, that the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or, we, or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. So these two things are really getting at the same point. So whatever your relationships are, whether your relationships are social or ethnic or uh, marital, Christians should let their eagerness to please God trump all their anxieties about their worldly predicament. Whatever that predicament is, they should have an overarching desire to please God. So regardless of your present circumstance, what Paul is saying is imitate the Lord. That is first and foremost in his mind. 
Again, verse 17, he says this, But as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. In the ESV, which I read, he says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has, God has called him. And the Amplified says, Only let each one seek to conduct himself and regulate his affairs so as to lead the life which the Lord has allotted and imparted to him and to which God has invited and summoned him. This is my order in all the churches. So Paul then is not merely just saying that we should accept our situation. He is saying that, but he's not saying just accept your situation. He wants them to think of it in this way. That is a, it is a call to focus on God's unique calling on each person's life. So the idea here is, with all the kind of psychological talk that we have in our society today, I guess we could then phrase it this way. That wherever you are in life, whatever your circumstances, you are, you're not a nobody, you're not unimportant, what you do and say is not something that doesn't matter, it does matter. You are not where you are in life by accident. God is fully in charge of all that is happening in your life. And where you are, you are, you are there by the choice of God. And God is, ex- is expecting you to react to that and to behave really accordingly. And, and the way that's going to begin is by having the right mindset, is to, again, understand the circumstances of why I'm in the circumstances I'm in. Not the idea that I might be in a bad circumstance because of a bad decision or in a good circumstance because of a good circumcision, though there are truths in that. But the idea that wherever I am, it's not by accident. That nothing in my life is by accident. It is a common tendency among those who come to faith to feel that now that they become a follower of Jesus Christ, they need to do something dramatic uh, in order to really follow the Lord. Many believers, uh, or when many people become believers... They immediately determine that well, they, they need to become a pastor or a missionary or a conference speaker or maybe a recording artist. People want to do something great for God, but they all have the same problem. They all believe that truly serving the Lord requires some kind of change in the circumstances of their life. They believe that they will be able to serve the Lord when they make those necessary changes. What I believe Paul is getting at here is he wants us to see that we should be serving the Lord right now. Mission agencies many, many decades ago began to realize that uh, they had an influx of individuals who wanted to be missionaries, but they, they didn't quite have, I guess you say, the quality of character that they were looking for. And as they began to kind of expand the interview process, what they were discovering was that there were individuals who were kind of dissatisfied with their lives as Christians They were dissatisfied that they really weren't doing anything big for God. And in reality, they really weren't doing anything for God. So they decided they would become a missionary and go somewhere else and do something really big for God. And what they discovered was that those who are really doing nothing for God now would be sent to other countries and they would do nothing for God there. They just would continue. And so we sometimes have this idea that if if our circumstances change, then we'll really be able to do this. So I'll really be able to do that. And so Paul wants them to stop thinking that way. He he wants us to stop thinking that we have to do this or do that to somehow be more spiritual or to be more in tune or to really make an impact for the Lord. We need to be happy. We need to be uh, satisfied with the arena that we are in and make an impact for the Lord there. 
If the Lord decides to change our circumstances and move us along to a different situation, then so be it. But that's, that's the Lord's business. But he wants us to be faithful where we are. I guess a cheesy way of saying that, I know this has been around for a long time. I've seen it on a bunch of bumper stickers. But, you know, it's like the idea of bloom where you're planted. But there's actually some truth to that. The idea is flourish where you are. You are not there by accident. There are people that, that come into your life that you would not meet in any other circumstance. And the Lord desires to use you to impact the life of that person. So again, what, what, what Paul is talking about here is Paul wants us to see that we should be serving the Lord right now. So again, verse 18, was anyone called, meaning called to Christ, while circumcised, meaning they were Jewish? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, meaning they were a Gentile? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing. It's nothing. It has no bearing, no impact on what he's talking about. So he's not saying these things are unimportant uh, at all in every single way. But in what he's talking about here in being used by God, imitating God, uh, bringing glory to God, living in obedience to what God has said, whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, whatever circumstance you're in, it doesn't really mean anything. It has no effect on you as an individual. Again, keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So that's why he then says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Then he says, were you called to Christ while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who was called to the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. So even though Christians are all one in Christ, each believer should remain in the same calling he was in when the Lord saved him. Jewish believers should not try to be Gentiles by somehow trying to erase the physical mark of the covenant. Gentiles should not try to become Jews by being circumcised. Slaves here, and I know this is kind of a touchy thing in our society, but that's because our society doesn't really think very well. But slaves should not demand freedom from their masters or from their Christian masters just because of the equality in Christ. Remember that when it comes to slavery, in particular back then, Individuals became slaves in all kinds of ways. It was, it's not just an individual was kidnapped from one country, brought to another country, and then sold. That did happen. But you also had you know, the Roman army that would march in. They would take a country, and, and they would allow, you know, if they didn't wipe everybody out, they would allow the men to join the army. Uh, and the older ones, they would sell them off as slaves. There were those who became slaves because they were indebted to an individual. Uh, there, were, there were those individuals who were slaves by choice. You also had slaves who owned slaves. So all of that is in this thinking here. And so he's not really making a statement about the morality of slavery or a lack of slavery. He's talking about the individual who happens to be a slave who becomes a Christian. And he says, your first priority should not be that now because you are a Christian, and let's say your master is a Christian, you should seek to be free. Now, if you become free, then what he, what he says is rather use it. I mean, use it to serve the Lord. That is the emphasis. Our thinking then is to be completely different. We're no longer thinking solely in terms of ourselves and our circumstance. We're thinking of our circumstance in terms of who the Lord is and what the Lord wants us to do. That's how we are to be thinking. So Paul did advise Christian slaves to secure their freedom if they could, uh, whether it was by purchase or what have you. 
But again, the same principle would apply to Christians married to unsaved mates. Let me just say one thing also. In verse 22, after he mentions about the, the slave, he says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. He is playing on that picture and saying, By the way, even though you may be a slave in your circumstance, when you come to Christ, you are truly free. The situation is more than that. It's just temporary. You are free. You're, not, you're, you're beholden really only to the Lord. But then he also, then with that in mind, says, the one who's called while free is Christ's slave. In other words, autonomy is not the goal here, whether, whether you're free or whether you're slave. The goal is to serve God. And so the, words, the, the, the slavery word is used a great deal in talking about the relationship that we have with the Lord. It's not the only word that's used. We are friends of God. We are friends of Christ. Christ is even my brother, but I'm also a slave of Christ. When it comes to God, I am, I am to willfully, voluntarily enslave myself or submit myself to his will. That, that's the idea that he, that he wants to get across here. And that's how he wants them to think. We are prone to think as human beings that a change in circumstances is always the answer to our problems. Whether the problem is indebtedness whether the problem is in relationships, whether the problem is I'm unable, I'm unable to advance in, in life or unable to advance in a job. Again, I'm not saying that changing circumstances is always bad, but we tend to think in terms of if I can change my circumstance, then that is the solution to my problem. And the changing of the circumstance doesn't, doesn't do that by itself. I know that in many, many drug programs, uh, individuals are going through a rehab process one of the things that, they are, that, that they're told when they, when they are talking about their drug habit is many individuals think, well, well, I just need a clean break. I know I'm using cocaine here, and, and that, that's because I know everybody, I know where it's sold, so I need a complete change of scenery. So I'm going to move to Atlanta, or I'm going to move to Richmond, or I'm going to move to Charlotte, I'm going to, and I'm going to start all over, get new friends. And, of course, normally what happens is in almost every situation, they end up using drugs there because all you're doing is taking your problems with you. The problems aren't here. The problems are in here. And so what happens is you go to these places, and if, if you don't become different, then you're going to have the same kind of friends you had here. Everyone knows where the drugs are sold in cities. If you are a drug user, you know you can find it. You'll find it in about three minutes. You'll know where to go. It's just not hard to figure out. But remember that people who use drugs or substances aren't the only people who think that way. A lot of people think that way. You can have a string of bad relationships to think, yeah, Savannah's just not a good place for me, so I need to move somewhere else. Like it's going to magically change, or whatever the situation may happen to be. So again, this is what Paul is getting at. He emphatically is stating here that God has sovereignly assigned each of us with a station in life. And it is from this station that we are to serve him. Our place in this world is not a matter of chance or simply the result of racial or economic or social bias, though those may be factors in, in, uh, in play. Our place in this world has been assigned to us by the Lord. That is the approach that we are to take from the Lord. As a general rule, we have been called to Christ at a certain point in time, within a particular culture, and with a particular social station in life. It is in this setting that we are to begin to live out our faith 
and to fulfill our calling. It is amazing and assuring to realize that God has prepared us even before our conversion to be and to do what he has purposed for us after our conversion. All of the events and factors which shape us as unbelievers are a part of God's divine plan and a part of our calling. It's not, it's not just, oh, old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. That's true. But that doesn't mean that all the things that happened to me in, in my past, all those things that shaped who I am, that they are now unimportant. All, I'm, I am who I am. And God expects me to use whoever, whoever my groups of friends are, the way that I think, the way that I carry myself, my personality, my interests, all those things. God's not going to use that for his glory and for touching the lives of other people. Faith in Christ does bring many changes. Some of those changes will be immediate in our lives. Others will be very progressive, maybe even slow in coming. But there are also changes which should not be sought. In particular, Christians should not seek to change things which do not matter just to win the approval of men. We must recognize that God has ordained the condition we were in at the time we were called to faith. It is in this setting that we should seek to serve him and to bear witness to his grace. So let me go through several different examples for you. Again, God has placed you right where he wants you to be. And he calls you to be faithful where you are. So specifically, let me uh, go through a couple of these scenarios. Number one, you may work in a warehouse or you might work at the ports. God has called you to pursue excellence in your work and to love and faithfulness in your relationships with your co-workers. He has placed you in that warehouse, or he has placed you at the ports, to be a beacon of light light in your workplace. That is absolutely true. You may be a student or a teacher. God has called you to faithfully follow at school, follow him faithfully at school. He has called you to stand for him in a worldly environment. He has called you to show compassion to those who are hurting, to extend friendship to those who have been cast aside. He calls you to pray for the salvation of those that you see every day. And he wants you to look for opportunities to plant seeds of faith. That's what God wants. That is God's will for your life. You may work in an office with others. Some may work under you. There may be some that are over you. God calls you to be a person who uses whatever authority you do have to encourage and to help people rather than to beat them up. Perhaps you might want to start an after-hours Bible study. You may not know a whole lot about the Bible, but you know more than they do, and you can share that with them. You can just get together with them and have prayer with them, pray for them, pray with them. But the idea is that you are a Christian, and where you are is not by accident. Remember again what it says in Philippians. You have been placed in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation to shine as lights. That is God's purpose for your life. Perhaps you're a stay-at-home mom. God calls you to love your kids. But even more, he wants you to teach your children how much God loves them. He wants you to teach your children to love the Word of God. And to make decisions based on the word of God. God wants you to minister to the other mothers that you may visit with. uh, The people in the uh, pediatrician's office. And the teachers that influence your kids. Because wherever you go, you are carrying with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, you are to be a walking transformation of, of a human being. That's been transformed by the grace of God. And God wants us to interact with other people to meet them. And again, remember that when you meet individuals, you can and you should think this way. Ask yourself when you meet someone new, now I wonder why God had me meet that person. 
Because that's exactly who orchestrated that. I wonder if God wants me to become friends with that individual. What can I do to get to that individual? And it may be that you pursue friendship with an individual and it just kind of fizzles out. That's okay. Move on to the next one. And you may latch on to an individual that you may find, uh, sometimes even shockingly, that they have a whole lot that they are willing to dump on you because their life is a mess. We need to remember that for most non-believers, they lie every day. They lie about their life and how good their life is every day. They are going through periods of loneliness. They are afraid. They might be facing some kind of or maybe many different crises in their life. In other words, they're like you and I. The difference is we have the Lord and God's people to turn to. They don't. They only have to try to figure out a way to handle it on their own. And they're just not going to do that well with that. Just look at the rising divorce rate. Just look at the number of kids who are raised in homes where maybe it might be better if they didn't know their parents because it's so bad. We don't say that flippantly, but the home is not a good place. Look at all the individuals who are just discontent with so many aspects of life when they really shouldn't be, when we look at at how things are going for them maybe financially or physically, and they're they're not experiencing the happiness. And of course, there's a very deep, deep-seated loneliness in the lives of many individuals. They don't have really deep friendships with, with very many people. There's a lot of shallow friendships, a lot of acquaintances, but there's a longing in their heart. And then along with that, what we need to remember, what the Word of God tells us, is that in the hearts of all men, there's a longing for something real, for something substantive, for something that is what we would call eternal. That longing is there. They might be squashing it. In fact, we know they are because that's what Romans 1 tells us. Men are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So we know that's going on. And God has sent you on the scene. God has placed you in their life. That is not by accident. That is not for you to live your life in that sense quietly and ignore everyone else and just do your job. Do your job, absolutely. Do it well to the glory of God. And engage in relationships with other people. Maybe you're in healthcare. God wants you to be his agent of compassion. He wants you to help people to look out not only uh, to look not only to the doctor, but also to the great physician. I knew a guy who was working as a uh, physician's assistant. He was a very, very strong, committed Christian. Every single patient uh, that the doctor worked with. This PA would meet with them when they were in the hospital prepping for surgery, and he would pray with them. And there were individuals who told the doctor that, hey, you know, this guy, he's pretty, you know, you're, someone's going to be offended. Someone's going to get upset because he's doing this. The doctor said, well, no one's been offended yet. I think everyone knows that he truly believes what he's talking about, and he's blessing the lives of a lot of people, and my patients are a whole lot calmer when they come in for surgery. So we're just going to let that go. So the thing is, is that even though this man might be in some way violating whatever our culture says you should not be doing, the Lord had his back, and he served faithfully doing that for years. He wasn't doing it to be obnoxious. He wasn't doing it to stick in anybody's faith. He was, uh, faith, he was just simply being an agent of compassion, genuine compassion, showing the love of God to those individuals. You may be the parent of a child who's involved in a lot of activities, God wants you to do more than just sit in the audience or the stands and cheer. Those other parents that you see all the time, they may be your mission field as well. 
He wants you to build relationships with those people. He wants you to find ways to plant seeds of grace in their lives. Just plant seeds of grace in their life. That can come in so many ways. Because some of those individuals may be believers, some of them may not be believers. But remember, you're the one who knows the living Savior. You have a relationship with the creator of the universe. You might be retired. You might be limited or think that you're limited in what you can do. Perhaps God would have you use your time to encourage other believers. Maybe he wants you to devote yourself to prayer. Maybe he wants you to reach out and pray with and for members of the church. Maybe he wants you to befriend those who are friendless. Maybe mentor a younger person. I use the word mentor because when we use the word discipleship, people freak out. Mentor is just, think of it this way. All you are going to do is just get together with someone else for their spiritual good. That's all it is. It may be to pray with them, read the Bible together, because they don't have the habit of reading the Bible yet. Yes, you can share with them what you've learned or what you're learning, but you're just seeking to influence them for Christ in just your own way. You don't have to have some big, thick, big, thick book that you carry with you and say, we're going to read this book. All right? You don't have to do that. Just be their friend. Be their friend who loves Christ and loves them. And so you may be retired. That may mean you actually have more time to do these things. There's a man in the 1800s named Charles Simeon. He said there were three things that you needed to know that were actually necessary for you to know and to follow so that you could follow Christ in an immediate kind of way. Number one, we must submit to God's will. Number two, we must depend on his grace. Number three, we must seek to promote his glory. That's it. Simple, it's not hard. As we think about the jobs that God has given us to do, it is often overwhelming. We are to move forward and trust that God and his grace will provide what we need. He will give us the words to say. He will give us the courage we need. As someone has once said, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. God is not looking for gifted people he can use. He is looking for willing people who he can equip. God just wants a willing heart. That's all he wants. And so what he's saying is, look, don't be all caught up in trying to get out from whatever circumstance you're in. And until that happens, because again, it may not be a sin for you to do that, but stop viewing that as, as to being the cure-all for whatever the dissatisfaction is that you have. Seek to serve God while you're there. It may be a couple of years before you can change your circumstance, or it may be a couple of weeks. But either way, live for the Lord now and every day. I will admit, and we know this is true, it's not always easy to serve God it can be hard to start a conversation with someone about their relationship with Christ. That can be difficult. It can be awkward. So just start asking God to create those opportunities. Start asking God to give you the words or to give you the courage or to give you the boldness. If that's still not enough, maybe you can ask God to cause them to ask you a question. Just be ready because God answers those prayers. I've, I've had it happen. I've, I've told you before, there's been times I've been to Starbucks and I'm sitting next to someone, I have no idea who they are, and I'm not really good at just starting conversation with strangers. I don't know why it's that way, it's just how it is. And so there was a time I was in there and I said, Lord, I want to talk to this guy. Can you get him to ask me a question so we can kind of get this thing started? In less than 30 seconds, what are you reading? Well, the name of the book was The God Who Was There. And I showed him the book, and we talked for the next 45 minutes. It was really cool. Then he got up and left, and this lady sat down. 
I said, man, I'm going to try this again. You know? Because I'm even, I'm not really, I'm not nervous in talking to women. It just seems weird, I think. I'm sitting down there. I'm by myself. And I'm going to start talking to this lady. I just always think they think something's up and nothing's up. So I just get, have all these weird thoughts. So I just kind of like, I'm just going to be myself. But I say, hey, God, just get this lady to say something to me. She did. She said, are you from Savannah? There we go. Yeah, well, I'll go yes and no. Grew up in Hawaii. We started talking. Next thing she she said, what do you do? I said, well, I pastor a church. She said, you do? <laughs> and I get, the, I get the comment I normally get, you don't look like a pastor. Whatever that's supposed to, I don't know what a pastor looks like any longer. I, I, I said, well, I am one, honest. <laughs> so, but we talked about the Lord. I, was, I ended up giving her a Bible, gave her another book. It was a fantastic conversation. So just wherever you are, God, he can. He will make those things happen. But if we're never thinking like that, we're not praying like that, those opportunities will, will miss us and go by. So again, remember, I, I know it's not easy to serve God. God knows it's not easy. He knows it can be awkward to have those conversations with an individual. It is difficult to go against the tide of public opinion. It is difficult to pursue excellence when everyone around you is satisfied with mediocrity. It is hard to continue to follow when the weight of life's responsibilities weigh you down. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he had learned a very valuable lesson. He learned that God's grace is sufficient. It's interesting how Paul states certain things. Here's this apostle, this very well-educated, bold man. And he says he learned, he had to learn, and he learned that God's grace was sufficient. When we speak of God's grace, the idea of what we're talking about there with that is that God gives to us the strength that we need to do those things he's called us to do. It's, it's grace because we don't, we don't deserve it. We, we need it, but we don't deserve it. And so God in his goodness wants to provide us what we need. And that's his grace. That's what we mean by that. So if you need boldness, he gives you boldness. You need wisdom, he gives you wisdom. All that is evidence of God's grace. And it is sufficient for us. Paul discovered that when he felt the weakest and the most inadequate, but still tried to do what was right, those are the very times that he was actually the strongest. In those times, he had to depend more fully on God's strength, and God's strength will never disappoint. Paul urges us to recognize that the time is short, and instead of spreading ourselves thin, he says we need to become more focused. Now again, so what if it's God's will for us to change our circumstances? Well, first of all, we should look upon that as really the exception, not as the rule. Secondly, rather than spending a lot of fruitless energy agonizing about such changes, just trust God to bring about those changes or make it obvious that such changes as will. You don't have to get into this whole thing like, oh, I wonder what, what God's will is for me. I think I, I, think I, I, need, to, I need to change. So, but how do I know that God really wants me to do this? And so we, people get into weird things, you know, like, Okay, so if I hit all green lights on Abercorn, then that means this. People do that. I know we can laugh. Maybe you're laughing because you've done that, but, you know, it's just, uh, or as you're approaching an intersection, you know, if that light just stays green because I don't want it to be yellow because I'm in between, you know, slam on the brake or gun it. And, you know, we do all this stuff where I've had, I've been around this one lady who was engaged to be married. The marriage was a month away and we're standing in the hotel lobby and it was, they were friends of mine. And so she's standing there with me, and she says, sometimes I just don't know. Well, if the elevator on the right opens first, that means God wants me to marry him. And if the elevator on the left opens first, that means God doesn't want me to. And I said, really? 
I said, so you're telling me that if that one opens, you're going to call it off. I don't think you are. I think you're lying to yourself. Besides, I think you're looking at the numbers and you think that one's going to open first, but you know it might get stuck. And I said, but I have witnessed your solemn oath before the Lord. And she said, no, I wasn't making an oath. I said, well, the Bible says be careful about every word that comes out of your mouth. So don't do things like that. So instead of agonizing it, just say, okay, well, I'm going to trust God to bring about those changes, or he's just going to make it obvious that it's time to go. And he will. It's, it's not always this big, complicated, in fact, it very rarely is this big, complicated thing. In fact, I do believe that there are times that God will place on your heart desires you didn't have before. And you can follow the desires of your heart, because if you're following the Lord, the Lord is the one who's going to guide and dictate the desires of your heart. And again, when he tells us all these things, he reminds us that we were bought at a price. And being bought at a price, he tells us, don't become slaves of men. When he says don't become slaves of men, he's not talking about there becoming enslaved in how we think of slavery. Because he adds to that, brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, two verses, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so the idea is recognize, remember the price that was paid for your freedom in Christ, for for you to be able to serve God and love God. So don't allow yourself to become enslaved by men, by man's ideas, or by what man thinks or man's opinion of you. Don't allow yourselves to become enslaved by your circumstance. An undue concern for changing social circumstances disregards the efficacy of God's call. When we speak of the efficacy of God's call, we're talking about the call of God that brings benefit or value or brings advantage or effectiveness. So here's the challenge. This week, look around at your life. Notice that God has placed each of us in a mission field. And so look at the mission field that God has given to you. Ask yourself, how can I serve God in my present position? Don't limit yourself to the big things. Look for little ways that you can show faithfulness to God and to others. Look for ways that you can plant a seed of grace. Look for ways that you can honor the Lord. Ask the Lord to guide, to direct, to appoint, to prepare, and to watch your back. And he will do all of those things. And your life, I believe, will, it may already be this way, but it will begin to take on an, an added air of excitement. Because you will be viewing life through the eyes of faith. And God will bring you opportunities, and sometimes it can be amazing at the opportunities that God will bring our way. Things that we never even thought possible. And he will do it. He will accomplish these things for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us by your mercy with the marvelous message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, it is this message, nothing really more. Father, we don't have to have a a long deeply developed philosophy of God and life. All we need is to have an understanding of the gospel, live in light of the gospel, and then share the gospel with those that we meet. Let others know that we love you and why we love you, and that you loved us first. Enable us, Father, to let others know that we feel a sense of freedom. We don't have as much anxiety in our life because we're free from guilt. We're free from the feeling of guilt because of Christ, because of the gospel that we know that we are forgiven, that we know that we have been declared just, 
that we, that we know already that we are undeserving of all of these things and we're okay with that because our trust is in you and your goodness. That even though we, we know that we, we, we will fail along the way, we're not overly concerned with that, even though we care because we know that you're never going to renege on your promises. Help us, Father, to share with others that we have seen you answer prayer. We've seen you answer prayer in our life and the lives of others. Help us, Father, to, re- to be able to relate to others that we actually have a relationship with you, that we talk to you and that you hear us and that you answer. And, Lord, that you speak to us and that we listen and obey. So, Father, for those here who have a, a desire to live in the situation you've called them, as Paul has stated, I ask that you would bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would answer their prayers. I ask, Lord, you would present them with opportunities that they will be unable to avoid or ignore. And, Father, for any here today who may be unmoved by your word, who, even though they claim to be believers, just really aren't interested in these things, I ask, Lord, that you would convict them of their rebellion to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to realize that they are only harming themselves, that they are the one who is stealing their own joy. That, Father, their lives will continue to become more and more empty, and there will be a growing dissatisfaction with life. Pray, Lord, that you would not protect them from that until they repent. And Father, for any here this morning who don't know Christ, Father, we have all, all, those, all of us who are believers have experienced the new birth. And we know that we are uh, going to heaven. We know that we have a relationship with you. We have a sense of certainty. We have a sense of confidence uh, that we possess because of our relationship with you. And Father, we ask, Lord, that these individuals would recognize that and they would see their need of Christ. Lord, they would recognize that, that they are stand in judgment of God's wrath because they've been living in disobedience. But that in your kindness and in your grace, you've made provision for them to be reconciled to you. So Father, we thank you for your love and your patience and your grace. And I pray once again for your people that we would live our lives in your grace and seek to live to glorify you. We do thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.